Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge, where we discuss ways in which we can see Jesus famous in our lives. Today, we'll be discussing the book of Nehemiah and taking a look at how God renews his people. Well, shalom. I feel like I need to say something just to recognize you're back from the Holy Land. Welcome back to the States. There you go. Shalom is like the catch-all word. <laughs> you can just wish it upon anybody. It you works. Know, perfect. Yeah. How are you feeling being back in the States after your um, your big trip? Oh, I feel great. You know, it was a, it was a beautiful time in Israel. There were a lot of hoops we had to go through to be able to get there because of COVID and everything. Uh, but they were so happy to have us. We That's were cool. actually at a few different sites. They were taking pictures of us <laughs> because they haven't had tourism for a couple of years now. They were even oh, told wow. that they wouldn't be getting tourism back till 2025. So a lot of people in that industry were terrified wow. of what was going to happen. So for them to see a bus full of Americans rolling up on sites. They were so excited. <laughs> so we got the red carpet treatment everywhere we went. And uh, man, it was just fantastic. You know, I mean, for one, the crowds were not very significant because yeah. not a lot of people are there right now touring. So we were able to zip in and out of sites. We got to see everything we wanted to see. Um, and uh, it was just uh, fantastic. And the coolest thing for me is just seeing people uh, on our, you know, from our church family, um, putting the Bible together yeah. in their minds, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really uh, for some people kind of like a Bible overview kind mm -hmm. of trip, because, uh, there are some sites you're going to that, you know, you, if you don't understand the scripture, maybe you've not been exposed to certain portions of it, <clears throat> Uh, you have to kind of be brought up to speed. Like, what yeah. is it that I'm looking at right mm -hmm. now? And why is this significant? And uh, not everything in that you visit is just like, a, well, this is where David killed Goliath, you know, yeah, kind of right. scene. You know, some of them are like more of the deep cuts of scripture. Yeah. Uh -huh. and uh, But important, wow. you know, so it's really cool to see people kind of like the light bulbs going on. Like, okay, this is why this is important. And this is where this happened in the Bible. And, um, mm. you know, it's, I mean, everybody talks about you're in the Galilee and it's like, you're able to envision the life and times and ministry of Jesus. And that's one of the most valuable parts of mm. that trip for sure. But it's more than that, you know, and you're exposed to some sites that really, I think make the Bible not just come alive, but come together. Wow. That's super cool. I'm actually hoping to jump in the studio with you next week to talk more about Israel and have an episode dedicated towards the oh, cool. trip and we can kind of geek out about it more then, but Love to. I'm so excited that you guys had a great time. I'm looking forward to going to Israel someday and maybe seeing your photo in a brochure now because people are taking photos of you guys and <laughs> <laughs> using you as promo pieces. That's, That's so right. fun. I love it. Well, Hey, uh, today we're talking about a message that you gave yesterday at the church from mm -hmm. Nehemiah nine. And, uh, man, I loved this, chapter that we went through is a long chapter. Uh, but the cool thing about it was that, you know, Nehemiah nine, it just, um, it recounts that whole big prayer from the leaders towards the Israelites. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just a little bit of backstory, the Israelites had come in contact with scripture. Um, from Ezra. They learned about their sin before God. They also then had joy that God hadn't wiped them out and celebrated with a feast and then came back and, had this big three hour long reading from scripture 
and then this prayer where, um, you know, the leaders recounted their story and they learned a lot about God and who they were and their future and all that. It's a really beautiful, long uh, prayer. It's one of those prayers that you probably would hope that nobody would pray for in a prayer meeting because it's so long, but um, really special just to see God's character all throughout the Israelites' history. So you had these three really big points um, from the prayer that, um, well, it's, it's from the prayer, but it's also recounting scripture, but that God's word shows us who we are, who God is, and our need. And so I thought we could just go through each of those portions and kind of talk about them because you, you did break it down quite a bit in each point. So I wanted to start with uh, this point that you had, God's word shows us who we are. And um, this is interesting when you first said it, I was thinking in my mind, well, the Bible's not about me but it does show me who I am. And I thought that was such a beautiful, like nuanced kind of way of looking at scripture. One of the things you said here is that the Israelites learned from God's word that they were God's special people. They had a special calling on their lives that maybe they, maybe they forgotten and were reminded of um, as they came in contact with scripture. But I wanted to ask you, Nate, I hope it's okay to ask you a personal question, sure. but <laughs> I wanted to ask you what maybe scripture has told you about your special calling. Um, I know you're, you're a pastor, you're a man, you're a Christian, and um, I'd love for you to talk about just what calling is and what scripture has told you about that calling. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes I feel like I have an unfair uh, situation when hmm. I'm reading the Bible because uh, it speaks to me so much. Yeah, And um, some of it, for me, goes back to being uh, a man who God has called to share the word because of that, I feel like there are so many things Mm -hmm. in scripture that just resonate with me. So uh, whether it's leadership oriented things, you know, there's so much in the Bible about God's leaders, uh, their failures and Mm -hmm. their successes, what God values, what God doesn't value. I mean, there are three letters in the new Testament that we call the pastoral epistles. Mm -hmm. So they are documents that are directed towards pastors. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm reading those, I feel like, man, I'm pretty lucky. (laughs) Like I've got these (laughs) books of the Bible that are geared towards, uh, you know, a significant part of my life, you know, what I do. And then, um, you know, just being someone who's wanting to communicate the word, um, there's just a, you know, every time I'm reading the word, there's Mm -hmm. something, you know, it's like, Oh, that's interesting. I can't wait to share that or talk about that. So sometimes I feel like, man, this is like, it really isn't fair. You know, there's (laughs) so much that speaks to me, but, um, so I feel like I get a definition a lot just in, uh, like my role, what I do. But then, uh, for me, you know, the Bible has been the most significant source of learning what a man is supposed to look like and be like, you know, and, um, what I'm supposed to value, uh, how I'm supposed to serve the sacrifices I'm supposed to make. Um, the Bible has, I think, spoken to me significantly about that. And then, you know, I was raised to always think about positional Christianity, you know, to be thinking about what it means mm. to be in Christ versus being in Adam and all the benefits that we have from being in Christ. So, um, 
you know, looking at the Bible through that lens, especially the stuff that's just blatant, you know, black and white about it. And like the epistles, for instance, of Paul, uh, have really defined me and kind of helped me realize like, this is who I am as a man in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I I wish I could say it was always in that order, like first who I am in Christ, Mm -hmm. then who I am as a man and then who I am as a pastor. But Usually when I'm going to the word, it's kind of all jumbled up, you know, like here's some things that, you know, um, a lot of my daily concerns have to do with what I'm doing, my work. I think that's true for a lot of people. So a lot of times that's what stands out to me, things Mm -hmm. that pertain to what I'm doing in my everyday life and job and career. Uh, But yeah, the Bible's spoken to me on all those fronts. That's so cool. Just the way you said jumbled, I feel like that's exactly how I receive from scripture too. It's like, I can come to it with some questions about whatever. And sometimes it hits me right where I feel like I need it. And sometimes it hits me in ways that I'm going to store up for the future. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, you talked as well about victory that, uh, the Israelites had been given victory from God. They remember that from scripture, from their history, God gave them land and possessions and, they're kind of an unstoppable force for a while. And it was really incredible what God was doing through them. And um, this is my second personal question. Feel free, we don't have to answer these if you don't want to, but I was just curious, you know, we're looking back at Israel. God gave them victory over very like real tangible places and territories. Right. On this side of the cross, you know, it's like there's a lot of victory that's happening inside of our lives over sin. And um, of course it looks different for everybody. And um, God has plans and purposes that he's accomplishing through all of us in different ways. But I was curious for you, if you wouldn't mind just sharing me an area of your life where God has given you victory, mm-hmm. some territory that God has conquered in your heart, um, in your life. Yeah. Great question. I would have loved to think about that one. I mean, I know I didn't tell you, yeah, I was going to yeah, ask yeah. you personal stuff. <laughs> I think, uh, for me, let's see. There's a lot of things, but one that really stands out to me is um, uh, being, um, how do I say this? I think having grown in the ability of just uh, knowing that I really can't be in control of Mm. things and um, understanding that there's just a lot that's outside of my influence and Mm -hmm. that I can only do what I can do. And then I have to kind of, um, trust God and trust others Mm. with the rest. Um, I think, you know, when I was younger and in positions of leadership, uh, there were just a lot of things that would really frustrate me. Mm. And, uh, sometimes it had to do with maybe coworkers and wanting mm-hmm. a certain level of either effort or mm-hmm. production or fruitfulness and, uh, wanting them to maybe see things the way I saw things without me having to communicate <laughs> how I was seeing things, yeah. you know, kind of deal. And that was a lot of immaturity and that would show up at times, um, not in any like crazy volatile, like, um, I don't think, uh, disqualifying kind of ways. I mean, we've certainly heard of pastors who are like that, just, you know, tyrants behind closed doors. I don't think I was ever that way, but, um, I definitely sensed at times like, man, I got to grow and Mm. just, um, there could be times where I'd slip into being negative or, uh, 
overly critical, partly because I, I think there was this sense, like, I want to kind of like control this mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you can excuse that in all kinds of different ways, but I'm thankful that, um, God put that conviction on my heart and yeah, over time just kind of learn like, well, you know, I, I, what I can do is, um, try to help people. I can try to help build the people around me up, but at the end of the day, they have their job to do. I have my mm-hmm. job to do and I have to trust them. And that's a way for me to trust God in the process of wow. what he's doing here, mm-hmm. uh, at this particular church, you know, God uses people and we're yeah. all flawed <laughs> instruments. We have yeah. our strengths, we have our weaknesses, we're, a work in progress. So, um, the Lord helped kind of grow me to realize, Hey, what a big part of my role is to, uh, help shape like the environment and the culture. Yeah. We want to be a growing group of people. We want to be people who are working towards excellence. We want to give God our very best. We don't want to be holding out on him or on the church. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can't always, you know, control mm-hmm. the way people do things. So yeah. I don't know if that's like the best example. There's plenty of areas where I've, you know, sensed God's help and victory in my life, but that's one that comes to mind. That's huge. I feel like I'm, I've always called myself just a control freak. And like, I feel like there's a few variables in my life that I can control and there's a lot that I can't. And I feel like anytime you invite another person into your life or you, are a leader and you're overseeing people, you're inviting just thousands of variables into mm-hmm. your life. And it's just like, I, we can't control all of it. And that's been a really hard one for me as well. It's been a real act of submission to God to just be like, this is for you. You know, there's so much that I can do, but at the end of the day, like you said, God is in control and I have to just be faithful to what God's put in front of me. That's really special to, um, to hear that God's giving me victory in that. I know he's always gaining more victory, there's something else I wanted to ask you about this particular point, Nate, which was um, you mentioned how the Israelites learned that they con- consistently rebelled. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, that's just like the drumbeat of their lives and like of our lives, you know, just <laughs> these moments of recognizing our sin, repentance, living in joy, rebelling again, rinse, wash, repeat, you know, and um, it just seemed through this prayer that was just a very consistent theme in their lives. And, um, I was curious if you could help us understand a bit about the Israelites and how they moved forward while looking back. I would imagine that as they recounted their story that they would be maybe upset or bombed or even like, um, paralyzed a little bit from taking action Mm -hmm. and following God. But, um, how did they actually, move forward by going back and looking at their past sin? Like what, what helped them to keep moving forward as a people towards Mm -hmm. obedience Mm -hmm. with God? Yeah. These people in this generation, they were really hoping to break the cycle. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to remember it was through that steadfast, long uh, look at the Bible that raised awareness in their lives for what they had historically been. I mean, hmm. when you're going to sit and read the Bible for three hours in a row or six yeah. hours in a row, you can't help but come face to face with the the story. You know, you're getting the quick overview of everything that happened. And, you know, these were not uh, people who had, you know, 
I'm sure they weren't all literate. They didn't have scrolls sitting around in their homes where they could daily read the Bible. They would pass these stories down verbally, orally, but I'm sure that they didn't all have access to this information. So Mm -hmm. for them to read the Bible publicly uh, from time to time was an important thing for uh, practice for them because it reminded them of the truth that they didn't always have access to. So as they read this story, Ezra and the scribes are reading it out loud. The people are just sitting there and they're like, okay, you know, we have Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and, and the, the 12 patriarchs. And, and then, wow, we went into captivity for a while and, you know, we were there and then God raised up Moses and then we were set free and the plagues and the Red Sea and God did this amazing work. And then we build a golden calf and we yeah. try to go back. How dumb were yeah. we, you know, and like they're realizing all of that. And then, okay, we got through that. God disciplined that generation. And then hmm. 40 years later, we go into the promised land and we get all this victory and Joshua, you know, concludes like, Hey, you guys should serve the Lord. I'm about to die. Me and my house will serve the Lord. Joshua dies. And then bang, they over and over again, fail to walk with God that just stood out to them you know and they're thinking about their situation and I think they were concerned and they're hoping is there any chance we could break the cycle yeah you know so when they realized like what they're realizing about themselves is yeah this high calling you know all this victory all this deliverance um this election God choosing them they're realizing all this good stuff but they're also realizing we really haven't responded all that well, you know, to what God has given us. That didn't mean they weren't God's covenant people. God made a covenant with Abraham before any of these people were born. So the covenant remained, but God was inviting them into uh, a practice of this covenant with the law. Here's the law, you know, do this, you'll be blessed. Don't do this. You're going to experience cursing. And, they realized that quite often in their history, they chose the curse rather than the blessing. Hmm. So they're sitting back going, we hope we can break the cycle. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you asked the question, like, how did these people, you know, really overcome? I mean, they kind of didn't, you know, they made a vow. (laughs) They made a covenant with God. It was the best I think they could do at that moment Mm -hmm. at that time although there's a case to be made for it really wasn't the best they could do because nehemiah apparently was able to pull it off you know there were godly Mm -hmm. people some people call uh, folks like that in the old testament era true israel and then you had like visible israel so true spiritual israel they're believers they're walking with god they have a prayer life they're legitimately pursuing him and then Physical Israel is just like what you mm. see. It's the culture. It's the community. Yeah. There, and some of them are really are God lovers and some of them aren't, but they're like keeping the external laws. I don't know about all that, but I just know they didn't pull it off. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> but I think there's something powerful about uh, the honest look into God's word, mm-hmm. you know, seeing what the human uh, spirit is capable of, seeing the depths of depravity, the pull of sin upon our lives. Uh, You know, those first three chapters in Romans are 
you know, hard to get through when you're teaching them or when you're reading them, but they're really important for understanding the impact of sin upon us, you know, yeah, what, what right. we are like without Christ. And, um, you know, it describes us as all being under sin. So that honest mm. look is really helpful because it creates then a desperation, a desperation yeah. for God. So these people, you know, there was a desperation for God. They certainly wanted his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. They're appealing to him for that. But their conclusion well, we got to just step up and make a covenant, you know, really didn't get the job done at the end of the day because they didn't have the spirit inside them to help them be successful to do that job. Yeah, totally. I love that. There's something about, I've heard people say before, you can't change what you don't identify or what you don't name and oh, to yeah, be able to look back good. in your history to be able to see like, I mean, you just made that point. They wanted to break the cycle and to be able to look back, see what the cycle has been call it out from scripture. God's word is truth revealing that. Um, what a beautiful place to begin. Yeah. Allowing God to work in you. Yeah. Like at our second growth night, I was talking to the men, you know, about the, um, restorative work that Christ is trying to perform in our lives. But that part of that restorative work starts with an honest accounting of what sin has done to us. And one of the things I shared with the guys is that if you're, if your list of abhorrent sins or your list of what sin has done to people is basically a list of things that you're probably not going to do anyways, then you don't really have a sense that you need restoration. So if it's like, yeah, you know, to be a, uh, you know, child molester, that's terrible, you know, but if it's like, you're not going to do that anyways, right? What, what kind of sense would you have in your heart that you need restoration? But if you're able to backtrack from that and say, well, there's like this lustful desire, there's this longing for that, which doesn't belong to me. There's this, um, discontent with what I have. There's this desire to express myself sexually and to think, you know, that's the first domino that falls that leads to something that I might classify as abhorrent, but that first step wow. I might feel a little more comfortable with, or like it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. As long as you feel that way, you're not going to be passionate to pursue God desperate for him and in wow. need of that restoration. So if you can get to that point where you say, you know, but by the grace of God, there go I, and the, 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 those full grown, you know, bringing death into my life sins are in their infancy in me. And I need Christ's help to overcome them in that infant state. Then, uh, that, that's a good spot to be mm -hmm. in, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I, th I absolutely think that identifying is crucial to being able to overcome. That's so cool. You said that because it kind of goes into this next portion about how God's word shows us who God is. And as you were just saying that, I was just thinking about how when we come into contact with our sin, a lot of times, if we don't know who God is, then we may want to run away from him when sin is revealed to us because we don't want to come into contact with discipline or God's judgment or God's wrath or something. There might be this not living in the fear of God, but being scared of God. But what you were talking about yesterday was that God's word shows us who God is. And rather than saying he's scary, he's out to get you, he's not forgetting anything. You're like, God is righteous. 
God's merciful and God's gracious. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could just talk to us a bit about just how um, in the face of Israel's sin, how did God prove himself to be a righteous, merciful, gracious God? Yeah, I, I, I think they were kind of surprised by this. Yeah. You know, they're mm-hmm. like reading the story. Ezra's reading it. They're hearing it like, what? We made a golden calf? What? We turned <laughs> against God after all this victory? We did that. And then to realize, oh, God gave us another shot. Yeah. God, God was merciful. God was gracious and forgiving and he was righteous you know he figured out these perfect ways to discipline us you know so you know moses comes down from the mountain and he's got the ten commandments in his hand and he hears like the crazy like orgy celebration going on in front of this golden calf he comes down he throws down the ten commandments he takes the golden calf, grinds it to powder puts it in the river makes everybody drink it i mean it's just like this crazy scene there's you know judgment that's happening from god and then they still get to be in right so they're seeing like god you're righteous in the way that you disciplined Mm -hmm. us but also you're merciful and you're gracious or a lot of what they were talking about, they said, you know, this happened multiple times. They're talking about the period of the judges when, mm-hmm. you know, they had these times where they're walking with God and then they turned from God and they invited idols into the land through through intermarriage with the pagan nations around them. And then the pagan nations enslave them and then they mm-hmm. cry out to God and God raises up a judge or synonymous with a hero. The hero delivers mm-hmm. them and they like walk with God again. But what what they would say is, you know, God, that time that we were enslaved, that time that, you know, because of our compromise, we lost our power. That was you. You were righteous. You were righteous to remove our power in those moments and to sap our vitality. You were righteous for doing all of that. But I think they were surprised to see that God figured out this righteous response that was filled with mercy. Like you didn't unload all of your judgment on us, everything that we possibly could have received. Like you still left us a remnant. You gave us an opportunity. We were never crushed and completely removed from the face of the earth. And then you gave us your grace and that you would bring us the deliverers or you would bring us back out of our captivity and you would do this like restorative work where we were able to make a comeback despite what we had been, you were faithful to us. And I think that was the big thing that surprised them. You know, they saw themselves and their history, but learning how God responded to everything that they'd done, I think that just really rocked them. And was, you know, obviously a huge blessing to them in the main portion of what was important that they got, you know, from God. But so cool that they were able to pray this way Mm -hmm. because they'd interacted with the word. All this is because they'd interacted with the word. Without interacting with the word, they would never have come to these conclusions, Mm -hmm. never have been stimulated to pray to God in this way. That's a really great note, too, just about our own personal prayer lives. I feel like, man, if we don't have God's word getting inside of us it can be hard to pray a lot of times because we don't know God from his revealed word, you know, but that more that gets inside of us. So it almost like is fuel for the fire for our prayer lives. It's so cool. That was a result for them too. I thought we could wrap this up here by talking about the last point you had. God's word shows us our need. And it was so interesting to see how the Israelites, you know, after 
this prayer was prayed. They concluded that they needed a renewal of the covenant. They wanted to make a firm covenant in writing. Mm-hmm. But you made the point that although they made a contract with God, they continued to fail. Um, there was just, I mean, sin just, it couldn't be dealt with with just a, a document, you know? And you made a mention about how we don't need just a written covenant. We need the new covenant. And um, I would love it if you would explain to us a little bit about what the new covenant is and how does the new covenant, how would it allow the, the Israelites, how would it allow us to really fall in line with God's vision for our lives? How does it, how does the new covenant help us to obey God's law mm-hmm. and to live more of a righteous life? How does that all work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the new covenant is basically inward change rather than outer conformity. So the new covenant is God's way of changing our interior motivations and drives and wants and likes and interests and passions Mm -hmm. and focuses. So he recognized and, you know, knew from the foundation of the earth that that would be something that was required. You know, once sin infected us, our inward desires were broken. So you remember, for instance, the passage in uh, Mark 7 where the religious leaders come and they ask Jesus's disciples or ask Jesus why his disciples don't wash their hands before Mm -hmm. they're eating a meal. And this was not them practicing poor hygiene. This was them not um, submitting to the regulations, the spiritual regulations of that time where they had a very like, um, ornate practice of hand washing that kind mm-hmm. of communicated like ceremonially we are clean before we eat. And Jesus just, you know, they were free. They were set free with Jesus. They mm-hmm. knew this doesn't matter. Jesus isn't doing this. So we don't have to do this. And so Jesus talked to them in response about how their traditions had begun to override the word of God mm-hmm. itself. But then Jesus took the opportunity to explain to them and explain to his disciples that defilement does not come like that. It's not from the outside in. It's not through uh, the neglect of some external ceremony. And the human heart is prone to this. The human heart wants that kind of outward ceremony. I mean, I was just in Israel for Pete's sake. You know, the ultra-Orthodox community, Mm -hmm. they're they're filled with ceremony. And you can't help but go to the Wailing Wall and see the way that they're responding, the the outward uh, demonstrative ways that they appear to be seeking God. Um, Jesus talked about the Pharisees and their phylacteries, their little boxes that they would put on their wrists and on their foreheads that contained little parchments of scripture. Well, they still have the phylacteries today, you know, Mm -hmm. in in ultra-Orthodox Judaism. And you see stuff like that. And if you didn't know Jesus, there's this Mm -hmm. part of you that's like, man, that's kind of cool. That's true spirituality. That must be really doing something for a person. But Jesus announced... That doesn't do anything for a person. It's not from the outside in that defilement comes. Defilement comes from the heart. Yeah. So that's why God knew a new 
order was required. Inward transformation had to occur. God wanted to do, if, if God wanted to set up a, a, you know, a thing where it was just, you know, the cross gets you forgiveness and then that's it, but there's no change. He could have done that if he wanted to. He could have waited for change and transformation to occur at the new creation or at the great and final resurrection. But he wants us to begin experiencing resurrection life right now. He wants us to begin experiencing a change of the heart, inner transformation right now. So he began predicting and prophesying of that in the Old Testament era. And some of the Old Testament saints experienced that. They were godly people. God was working in their lives. The Spirit was upon them. But for the most part, uh, internal change wasn't happening. So through prophets like Jeremiah or Ezekiel, God predicted, hey, the day's coming. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to write the law on your heart. It's not just going to be external, something you read and say, I want to attain to that. I hope to attain to that, but I'm going to put it on your heart. You're going to want that. You're going to have that, the drive to be able to do that. That's what I'm going to produce inside of you. And of course it's in Jesus that we then can become new creatures in him where our inner person is transformed. But then we go through the process at that point of every day, the biblical language for it is to put off mm, yeah. the old man and his desires and to put on Christ. So the potential is there mm -hmm. for that inner change and transformation, but we need to feed the spirit. We need to starve the flesh. And if we do, then the ingredients are there for that transformation uh, to occur. So what that means is that, yeah, we can make vows like they made a vow um but if we then uh, regularly walk with the lord and spend time in his presence cry out to him for his help and feed on the right things then the kind of like upward destiny trajectory of our lives because we're new creatures in him it just will trend towards obedience. It just will happen. It's what the new covenant is about. Whereas for them, uh, it was kind of like there might be a, an exception here or there that was able to keep it. But for the most part, they were going to fail because the spirit wasn't in them driving them forward. Hmm. It's so good, man. The Israelite story is such a human story in some ways, but ultimately it's obviously just such a god story how god is working redeeming and showing us our need for christ and for mm -hmm. that new covenant so thanks for breaking this down with us nate appreciate you and your teaching ministry and this chance to get to talk with you about it yeah for sure i mean it'll be cool when we get to nehemiah 10 to just kind of think about the actual vow that mm -hmm. they made i think there's some great um principles in it and some commitments that we should be making ourselves but praise god with the help of the spirit rather than uh, our own strength we pray that today's discussion has blessed you if you enjoyed today's episode please like subscribe and share so we can continue to reach people and make jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us until next time god bless